You're listening to The Pet Factor, news on pet health, wellness, and the latest in veterinary medicine. Hi, welcome to the next edition of The Pet Factor. I'm Dr. Jim Hosek. And I'm Brittany. And this week we're going to start talking about uh, congestive heart failure okay. in dogs and cats. Yeah. Uh, we primarily see it in the older small breed dogs with the heart murmurs. Okay. So they'll come in and usually they have a leaky mitral valve, which is on the left side of the heart, or the tricuspid valve, which is on the right side of the heart. Uh, and that can cause uh, fluid buildup because of uh, blood not getting to the lungs. Okay. So it tends to build up into the uh, the rest of the body and we'll see um, ascites and fluid buildup. When the left side of the heart is not pumping uh, well, if it's leaking back, then it does starts to back into the lungs. And that's when we get the coughing and the, the crackles in the lungs. Another reason we'll see uh, cardio, uh, we'll see congestive heart failure in dogs is uh, dilated cardiomyopathy. Okay. And this has uh, been in the news a lot because of the grain-free diets being associated with it. Mm-hmm. It's primarily, though, a genetic disease that we see in the larger breeds of dogs. Boxers, Dobermans, Rottweilers are prone to this. Uh, we'll see it in Great Danes. Cocker Spaniels are another breed that get it quite often. Mm-hmm. And it's just basically the heart muscle is getting very weak and it gets very uh, thin and the heart starts getting really big. You take an x-ray, it looks like there's a big balloon in there instead of the regular heart. And so the heart can't pump efficiently, so it causes the, the, the blood to back up into the body. In cats, they have almost the opposite condition. It's a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and that's genetic as well. And that's where the heart muscle gets really thick, primarily in the ventricles. So the heart muscle gets so thick, the ventricles can't fill properly with blood. And so it's not pumping up blood, and it starts backing up in the body as well. So no matter what the cause, uh, the symptoms are going to be pretty much the same. And it really depends on what side of the heart is affected more than the other. We classify heart disease in four different stages. Stage A is for patients that are at risk but have no overt signs of heart disease. So this might be uh, a boxer that we, you know, has a history of uh, dilated cardiomyopathy in his family. Mm-hmm. So we know it's at high risk. We're going to be watching this dog. We're going to classify it as a, a class A. Um, class B heart failure is animals that have a structural heart defect or heart disease, but no signs of heart failure. Okay. So that's going to be the little toy poodle that comes in with a grade three heart murmur, but it's running around fine. Okay. We take an x-ray. The heart's not big. Uh, everything's looking pretty good. The lungs sound fine. Uh, grade C or class C is going to be animals that do have clinical signs of heart failure or who have had clinical signs of heart failure and responding well to treatment. Okay. So the animal that comes in that's coughing, it's got a little fluid in his lungs, we put it on the diuretics, uh, the heart medications, they come back a couple weeks later, they're breathing fine, they're doing well. Um, the, the D patients, the class D, are the ones that what's called refractory heart disease. So these are the ones that no matter what we do, we just can't seem to get them out of heart failure. So they're having a tough time breathing. They're the ones that are turning blue. Even with oxygen, they just can't get enough blood going through their systems. So the primary uh, symptom we see coming in, uh, if we're not finding on our exams, is it coming because the dog's coughing. Mm-hmm. They're coughing, uh, especially when they wake up in the morning is the worst, but they may have trouble getting asleep at night with that. They have exercise intolerance, so they can't really get around very easily, so they get into respiratory distress. They may even start turning blue, where they just they start to do a little bit of activity and they start panting and their mm-hmm. gums are blue, their tongue's blue. 
in uh, the cases of the uh, right-sided heart failure, they'll get ascites, which is the fluid buildup in their abdomen. And it looks like they swallowed a ball. Their belly is really big. Uh, we see this sometimes in the cats, too. And then um, fainting, which yes. is syncope, or uh, just because they're just not getting enough blood to their body. Um, like I said, they, they get tired. And weight loss is another very common symptom in, in heart failure. Uh, I had one cardiologist tell me that, You've never seen a, a fat dog in heart failure. <laughs> Usually yeah. they're pretty skinny by the time yeah. we get to that point. So we're watching for those. It's uh, important when we examine these dogs that we're doing a good um, cardiac exam with the stethoscope. We want to listen for that heart murmur and ideally try and localize where it is. Because where it is can sometimes tell us what valve is affected without having to do an ultrasound. Okay. In cats, a lot of times they hear the murmur along the, the center of the chest, along the sternum. And dogs with the mitral valves will usually hear it on the left side. And that's usually by the heart base. Uh, but we can hear heart murmurs everywhere. And congenital patients will hear different types of murmurs, but that's a different talk. <laughs> so we'll talk about that at some other time. We can also be listening to the lungs. So we can sometimes hear uh, like crackly sounds, like people crickling up uh, tissue paper mm -hmm. when we listen to the lungs. If there's fluid buildup around the lungs, we'll hear decreased lung sounds because the lungs aren't expanding all the way in the chest. And that's called pleural effusion, and that's the same sort of thing that's happening when you get the fluid in the belly. You get the fluid around the lungs instead of inside the lungs. So there's a difference between those things. And then we're also going to be listening to the rhythm of the heart. Uh, when we have animals with the dilated cardiomyopathy, they'll oftentimes have a very fast heart rate and a very irregular heart rate because they might be in a condition called atrial fibrillation. In cats, especially, we can hear uh, split heart sounds. So instead of the normal lub-dub, we hear a lub-dub-dub, lub-dub-dub, or something like that, mm. which tells us that the heart, two parts of the heart are not in synchrony, and one's probably a little bit bigger, and it's having a longer time to finish uh, its contractile phase and that valve closing. So those are very important things that we can do on our exam in the, in the room. We're going to also look at the color of their gums and their, their body condition. And, and the history is very important, too. Uh, when is the cough worse? How long has it been going? How long has it been progressing? Does it tend to go away? Does it get worse with exercise? We want to distinguish heart disease from the other things that can produce very similar symptoms. So primary lung disease will oftentimes present with a cough and tiredness. Um, and you can have a heart murmur and have lung disease that's not related to the heart murmur. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, treat them for heart disease and you're not getting better. It's because well, that's not what's causing the problem. There's something else going on. We're also going to look for cancer. Mm -hmm. That can certainly cause fluid buildup in the abdomen, around the chest. Uh, it can cause lesions in the lungs that can look like pulmonary edema in, in severe cases. And infections, pneumonia. We had a dog in the other day that was treated for pneumonia and they found that it had a, a dilated cardiomyopathy too. Mm -hmm. So... They could be concurrent or just additional things on top of everything. Sometimes we hear for the smaller dogs, uh, those collapsing tracheas, and yeah. we confuse it for uh, heart issues sometimes when they're just coughing. It's, and it's, it's the same faint. same types of dogs <laughs> are getting heart disease or getting that little collapsing trachea. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make our diagnosis not only based on our exam, but we're going to get some chest x-rays too, and that's mm -hmm. just the gold standard. We're going to do, we try and do four views. So we do them laying on the right side and left side, on their back and on their mm -hmm. stomach. Mm -hmm. And that allows us not only to evaluate the heart very well, but the lungs as well and see if uh, certain lung fields are being involved more than others that would kind of rule in maybe some other pulmonary diseases. We're also going to get some measurements of the heart. There's a measurement that's called the vertebral heart score, which was developed that allows us to measure the heart relative to the vertebrae along the chest. And we can get a ratio of the, we take the long axis of the heart and the short axis of the heart, 
make a little cross right through the heart. And then we transfer those measurements up onto the vertebrae and see how many vertebral bodies those measurements are. And so if they're within a the normal range, we know that heart's normal. And you can have some dogs that heart looks really big on the x-ray, but because of the size of their chest or their breed, is really a normal-sized heart. So that vertebral heart score helps eliminate all those uh, variabilities on the, the dog's breed and size and chest size and gives you a really good way of seeing if that heart is indeed enlarged. In some hearts, it's just really obvious because you can see an elevation of the trachea that's going to appear higher, or you just can see not very much lung fields at all. Mm-hmm. Where you start losing that sort of heart shape, they get more round and globular. The other thing that's going to be helpful are the EKGs or the ECGs. That's, going to, that's measuring the electrical activity in the heart. So we're looking not only at the rhythm, but depending on the strength of the electrical activity, we can tell if the heart's enlarged, if there's more heart muscle working harder. So when we see what's called the QRS waves, which are the big tall waves getting much bigger than uh, two or three millivolts, then we know oh, that's some pretty significant enlargement. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the atrial waves, the P waves. If they're getting a little bit bigger, we'll be able to say that looks like heart enlargement. Or if they're getting wider, that can say it's taking longer for the electrical activity to get through the muscle, so it's a much larger chamber than normal. So that can be very helpful for us. It's, uh, it's very good in diagnosing the atrial fibrillation. Uh, we can sometimes see the, the uh, tachycardia, which is increased heart rate with the EKG. We'll see abnormal beats sometimes. It may not even be related to the heart failure, but that might be there. But they can tell us that there's something going on in the heart. And there are other things that can cause um, abnormal rhythms that aren't related to the structural heart diseases. There can be uh, electrical defects that in, in the pathways going through the heart too. But that's, again, a different subject, and we'll talk about that maybe in the future. The, the gold standard, of course, is the echocardiogram. Everyone knows the getting the echo when you have a heart problem. And that's very useful for us in terms of identifying where the murmur is coming from, right. which valves are affected. And they can quantify how much blood is flowing back. They use a, a, a tool called a Doppler, which measures the direction of the blood flow in the heart. And they can actually see the blood flowing backwards and forwards through those uh, leaky valves. And they can also measure the thickness of the heart chambers, the size of the heart chambers, and how much the heart is contracting. So mm-hmm. you can get a measure of contractility and see is the, is the contractility very degrees, decreased. So in a dilated cardiomyopathy, where that heart muscle is very thin, it may only be contracting 20 or 30% versus 40 to 60% in a normal heart. It's going to be pretty obvious. And they're going to also be able to see if there's any tumors on the heart. Yeah, if there's any other problems, a fluid around the heart, a pericardial effusion, uh, that can be a, a problem that, that can affect the cause heart failure, but can be treated pretty easily just by draining that fluid or getting rid of that uh, pericardial sac from them. So when we diagnose a dog with heart failure, there's going to be two types of dogs we see. The ones that are not that sick, that maybe have a little bit of cough, we can get them on some uh, medications, or the ones that come in, they're in really bad shape. Yeah. They're having a tough time breathing. They're blue. We already have them on oxygen. We're going to get them started immediately with a diuretic called furosemide. Mm-hmm. Lasix is the brand name that most people will know this by. And diuretics basically work on the kidneys by getting rid of fluid out of the body. So they pee a lot, and then that decreases the blood volume. The less blood there is, the less hard the heart has to work. And it allows that fluid that's accumulating in the abdomen or around the lungs or in the lungs to be pulled back into the circulation and help reverse the, the problems with the heart failure. So we'll initially start them with an injectable dose to get them uh, immediately under control and then continue them on oral medication. In really severe cases, these animals have to be admitted to the hospital. They need to get in 
uh, and be in an ICU. They mm-hmm. need to be on oxygen, whether that's a nasal cannula or something, until we can get their heart failure under control with medication. If they end up being one of these class D dogs that are refractory, they may not come out of that situation. If they're coming in and they just have the cough and they've been having, getting a little tired, we'll put them on some oral furosemide. Yeah. Another medication we use really often is enalapril yeah. or benazapril. Those are both what we call ACE inhibitors. They're uh, vasodilators, and they help dilate the blood vessels so it's, again, easier for the heart to pump the blood out. It has less resistance when you think about trying to suck up uh, water through a really tiny straw versus a big hose. You'll be able to suck up a lot more, and it's just less resistance. So that's very useful, and we can use that drug, especially if dogs are these uh, class B that are, we know they have structural heart disease, they have a heart murmur, and we want to maybe have a little heart enlargement, we may want to put them on that medication to slow down the development of their heart disease. Mm-hmm. And certainly uh, the, the ones in the class C, we're going to put them on there as well. And this is a lot of times a once-a-day medication, and it's very helpful. I use it a lot in the cats, especially with the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The next thing we want to do is try and get the heart muscle working better. The old drug we used to use a lot was digoxin. And digoxin is a very toxic dose, has a very narrow therapeutic range. You always had to do blood levels to make sure you're getting the right level. Uh, cause vomiting and diarrhea in a lot of animals. It, it did help with the, the heart contractility. It helped with some of the arrhythmias, but it was really difficult to use. Uh, we usually had a liquid because we would change the dose very little to try and get that uh, into proper level for the animals. That's been replaced in the last few years by a drug called pimabendin. And whereas uh, the Joxin is what's called an inotrope, it helps increase the contractility. This is an inodilator, so it not only increases the contractility, it helps vasodilate as well. So it can it can be used with the ACE inhibitors or even just by itself. So it's a more expensive medication than digoxin, although digoxin's gotten pretty expensive, especially on big dogs, because it's just not available as much. But pimobendin can make a huge difference, and it definitely will increase their lives and and get them out of that heart failure symptoms pretty quickly. In cases where we have animals that have very fast heart rates because of their heart disease, and this can be the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in cats, or even the dilated cardiomyopathy in the bigger dogs, that they have a very fast heart rate because of their atrial fibrillation, beta blockers are helpful. And beta blockers can have a negative inotropic effect, but what they're basically doing is they're slowing the heart rate. So now the heart has more time to fill, so each beat they're pumping more blood out so it can actually increase cardiac output, even though it's slowing the heart rate. So you just have to kind of think if you're pumping a a pump really fast and you're just getting a little bit bit at each time, but if you just let the pump kind of fill up and then give it a big squeeze, you're going to get more air or fluid moving through that a lot more effectively. The other drug that's sometimes used in... uh, a lot of times cardiologists will use this in animals that aren't responding well as spironolactone. This is an aldosterone antagonist. Uh, aldosterone is one of these drugs that helps you conserve sodium and fluid in your body. This basically reverses that and allows you to pee a lot. So it works like the diuretic. Um, you have to really watch sodium levels when you're putting an animal on this because they can lose a lot of sodium and start to have problems because of that. So that can be a, a bad side effect, especially since we're going to put a lot of these animals on a lower sodium diet. Sodium does retain more water in your system. So if you have less sodium in you, the less water you'll have in your body and the the better you'll be with your heart failure. I think one of the hardest things to do is dealing with an animal with heart failure and kidney failure. Because when they're in kidney failure, we want to give them lots of fluids, 
But if you give them too much or they're, they can't handle it, it starts building up in their body and their lungs, and you can actually have problems from that. So mm-hmm. managing the two of those together can, can be a challenge. The long-term prognosis for heart failure is poor because we're not treating or not curing these animals. There are maybe some conditions where they had an infection in their heart or they just had some irritation to the heart that caused an abnormal rhythm. Those can be reversed. But for the most part, when we're dealing with valvular disease or dilated cardiomyopathy, this is going to go on and on. But most of them do respond to treatment, and most of them have a much better quality of life with Mm -hmm. the medications. Um, I always tell people heart disease is kind of... Uh, a very sudden onset, even though the disease can be progressed for, progress for a long period of time, because the heart compensates for that decreased function. Yeah. Uh, what I was reading is you can have, you have to have almost 75% backflow of blood through a leaky valve before they start to show signs. Mm. So you can have a, an animal that's only half the blood is pumping when, when each, with each beat because if 50% of it comes back and they still can do fine because their heart compensates for that. Mm. So it's like walking towards the cliff. When you get to the end of the cliff, you have no place else to go. You just fall off, and that's when all the symptoms crash on you. Oh. So it's not often, it's not unusual to have these animals come in very quickly or have this cough develop very quickly, even though they've yeah. been suffering from the, the stage B, uh, class B disease for quite some time. The other interesting is, is dogs don't get the clogged coronary arteries like people do that causes heart effect. They yeah. just don't. They have a different cholesterol metabolism, so they don't get that cholesterol plaque buildup in their coronary arteries. Hmm. Even if they're eating a bunch of junk food. <laughs> Even if they're eating a bunch <laughs> oh, of junk okay. food, they can get a lot of plaque in their um, the outside of the vessels in the aorta and the other vessels, and that's usually oftentimes associated with low thyroid. Okay. So those are things that we're going to look for. So if you have a dog with a cough, especially one of these little breeds, yeah. and especially if your vet's told, "Hey, they've got a murmur." Make sure you get them in and get them checked out. Yeah. One of the things I'll have people do with dogs and cats that have heart murmurs is monitor what's called the resting respiratory rate. Yep. And that's where you count the number of breaths they have in a minute while they're sleeping, ideally, or when they're resting very comfortably. And just check that once a week or more often if you think you need to. And look for a sudden increase. And that's a very sensitive measure of whether they're developing heart failure or not. So if you do a resting rate and it's 15 for the longest time and it jumps up to 20, that's when you need to call your vet and say, you know what, he's starting to breathe faster. Maybe mm-hmm. we need to start him on medication or if they're already on medications, adjust their medication. Yeah. We're also going to be watching their blood pressure too because hypertension not necessarily is, a, is associated with the heart disease but can be along with it. So if they get that, we want to deal with that as well. We don't want to have the deal with hyper high blood pressure as well as the heart disease on top of it. So I think... When we, when we have the animals with murmurs, a lot of times we're just going to tell people to watch them. I think it's important, really important you have good dental care too. Yeah. Because when you have a bad mouth, that bacteria can get into the bloodstream. And when you have a valve that's already damaged and, and causing a leak, they're more prone to get endocarditis, which is an infection of their heart valves. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't keep their teeth clean, you can have problems. We anesthetize animals with heart murmurs here all the time. Yeah. You do do some extra steps to make sure that it's going to be safe. You're going to do the chest x-rays before you do the, the anesthesia. We're going to use anesthetics that are very quickly metabolized in the body. Mm-hmm. We're going to use very short-acting gas. We're going to give them an antibiotic dose before we start the procedure so that as we're getting bacteria in the bloodstream as we're cleaning teeth, we're not going to end up with an endocarditis. And then we're going to make sure that people really kind of work on that at-home care so we don't have to do that again. Mm-hmm. I always tell people we're looking at is the benefits of the procedure outweighing the risks. And in most dogs with a bad mouth, a lot of these little dogs are also prone to very bad dental disease. Yes. 
And if we're not going to get those teeth taken care of, we're going to end up having to do it when our heart failure is maybe not as well controlled and mm-hmm. it's going to be a much riskier condition. So if your vet tells you, ah, they're too old or the heart murmur, they don't want to do the teeth cleaning, get a second opinion. You might find somebody who's willing to do it uh, because it is going to increase their quality of life and their length of their life. Mm-hmm. Ready to move on to pet health news here? Yep. Okay. I heard this. My friends were telling me about this story. <laughs> and I, I go, this this didn't really happen. And yes. then I looked it up on Facebook, and sure enough, it did. Yeah. So well, why don't you tell us about Perdita? Perdita. Yeah. So usually when you think of animal shelters, they usually do the highlights of the pet. Loves to cuddle, loves to, you know, lay on your lap, loves to go for walks, things like that. Right. yeah. Perdita, you know, at the North Carolina shelter... They were very honest with this cat. Um, her title was World's Worst Cat Up for Adoption. <laughs> um, many, you know, many cats when they're dropped off at shelters, you know, they can get a little nuts because it's a big change and everything like that. The North Carolina shelter said um, she was Satan's evil spawn. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. <laughs> Um, one it's of like the, trying to sell a car and say it, it makes all sorts of noises. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have brakes, but take the car. <laughs> yeah. um, but they were very honest, and I really appreciate that. Um, one of their comments was, we thought she was sick. Um, so the Mitchell County Animal Rescue Clinic, they took her to a, or the county just right. took her to a clinic. Yeah. And even a vet there said, turns out she's just a jerk. <laughs> she was perfectly healthy. Even, just... She was perfectly healthy, perfectly fine. The cat just has her very mm-hmm. on personality. Um, they said, you know, that she was not for the faint of heart, according to the adoption ad and everything. They even made her like a bad dating app. Um, you, and it's oh, the, the ad, yeah, the ad is like for the ad, yes. Yeah, so this is the this is the ad. If you were to read this, you would. It was like a horrible dating well, ad. This for is her. this is the what they put up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Here. Go ahead. They that. said, um, "Meet Perdita. She is not for the faint of hearts. Her likes staring into your soul until you feel as if you may never be cheerful again." <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, her favorite song is "Cat Scratch Fever," and if you don't know, that is a real thing. Yes. Um, her favorite movie, Pet Cemetery, oh, because yeah. Church is her hero. The evil yeah. cat is her hero. Um, she loves to jump and scare people. That is her specialty. She loves lurking in dark corners, being the queen of her own dom- domain, f- fooling the shelter staff into thinking she's sick. And that's how they got to the vet. Because again, <laughs> the vet just said she was a jerk. What she dislikes, okay. the color pink, kittens, because you know, who wants a happy, playful kitten? They're so chipper. You know, they're so chipper. <laughs> that's horrible, right? Yeah. Um, of course, dogs. Who likes a dog? Um, children, the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> Disney movies, Christmas. And last but not least, her most hated thing, hugs. <laughs> um, but, you know, she's sing- she was single, ready to be, you know, socially awkward with a socially awkward person who understands what personal space was. And to no surprise, her adoption fee was waived. So she was up for adoption for free. The okay. shelter waived. So there's no way they're going to get anybody to respond to this, to adopt this cat. Well, you know what? This ad had been shared nearly 9,000 times. And people were, you know, almost 175 people 
came in and requested to see Perdita for adoption. No. Yes. A lot of applications were put through, and they actually had to cap it because so many were trying to adopt her. Okay. Um, but she eventually was adopted January 28th of this year um, by a lovely couple named Joe and Betty. Um, wow. They, you know, later renamed her Noelle, which is... Okay. Really cute name for what they call a little Christmas, synthetic yeah. cat. Yeah. Um, but the shelter said that it was a successful meet and greet, um, which included minimum growling and very little slapping on her part <laughs> and on her new parents' parts. So okay. nobody slapped anybody, which was great. Wow. Um, the shelter director, uh, you know, said that Perdita came in as a four-year-old cat on Christmas. Yeah. And she came in like the Grinch and quickly asserted her dominance. <laughs> See, now she's going to hate the name Noelle because <laughs> she's already crammy about Christmas. Yes. Um, but you know what? They also released a statement saying that we are all animal lovers and very patient. But they had been concerned about her for a while. And, you know, they said you walk past... You look, you know, she was sitting there with her and she said, I'm looking at her right now. She's rolling around in her bed looking all sweet and cute. But the minute you go to try to rub her, she'll slap you. <laughs> you know, she would act like she was in pain. And again, they took her to the vet. And that vet, again, just said, the cat's being a jerk. Um, and, you know, not many vets will tell people that. But yeah. um, but luckily, you know, she did great. Um, they did release a few comments from people who saw her ad. Okay. Um, one of the people said Perdita was their spirit animal or their soulmate. Um, <laughs> there were some people who joked and wrote, you know, this cat deserves to, to be in someone's life who they know, which was, yeah. Um, but you know what? There, a lot of people were very happy for her. Um, somebody even wrote, you know, I hope Perdita finds the goth home of her dreams. <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, she got adopted and we're happy for her. She was yeah. only four, so hopefully she comes down in her new house and has a nice, long, happy life. I like this little thing here. The shelter had the warm visitors that she, she would be shy and kitten-like attempts to draw people in, and then it would end badly. Yes, <laughs> she was it just was just a ruse, yes. Okay. All right. Well, the, the world's worst cat found a home, mm -hmm. so... I hope it's not with the world's worst pet owners, but uh, <laughs> it sounds like things are going to end well for her. Yeah. All right. The other thing in the news is there was this announcement. Um, I used the DVM 360 news, and they're talking about one of the best new products of 2019. And it's not necessarily a product. It's a way of looking at blood panels from this lab called Antec, and they do, they're all over the country. Mm -hmm. And so they came up with this thing called Renal Tech. Okay. And what they're able to do is they took the blood tests from literally hundreds of thousands of cats and and they had how they progressed over time they were able to then train an artificial intelligence system to recognize cats that were at high risk for developing kidney failure oh. and it could predict this 2 years in advance wow so they do this free with all the panels it's included in there they have this patented technology so if you get your panel run through antec you're, you're going to get this so they've uh, they've just started doing this in October. They've already um, issued uh, assessments on over a hundred thousand cats, okay. and they think that this could basically help us react proactively instead of reactively. It could mm -hmm. fundamentally change how we treat chronic kidney disease in cats. So uh, hopefully, this technology is going to be um, made available uh, to a wider audience and. Yeah. 
And veterinarians, if you're worried about having your, your if you want to have your cat's uh, blood panel checked out, have your vet run it through the Antec test and see how it goes. So that would be cool. So just like with their annual blood work, you can right. just add it on to that. Right. That'd Especially if cool. you have a cat that you think is at risk. You have Antec run the panel, you get this value. And if they say, hey, the cat's not at great risk, beautiful. But cool. if it is, there are things you can do with diet and, and things to watch for in the future so that you can... Yeah, and it says it gives you well. up to two years before clinical diagnosis. That's so, amazing. you know, pretty much every two years you can just do this test on a senior cat. Yeah, and it's, it's this artificial intelligence that just trained this thing uh, based on these blood panels. So I think that's really kind that's of cool. a neat thing. Yeah. All right, our case of the week. So this was a dog I saw... Uh, earlier today, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, Cash was a new clinic patient to the clinic here, and the owner had done one of those genetic tests that you can do on the mixed breed dogs, okay. and they tell you what breeds your dog is. And this dog looked looked like a little border collie, and certainly one of the things was border collie, but it had Labrador Retriever, Golden, Great Pyrenees, oh, wow. and Boxer. Okay. Oh, no, not Boxer, Bulldog. <laughs> it's bulldog in it. <laughs> But it also was positive for the MDR1 gene. And MDR stands for multiple drug resistance. Mm. It's kind of a misnomer because it's not so much that it's resistant to the drug, it's more sensitive to certain drugs. Okay. So this is a nice thing to know, especially for us vets to know, because two of the drugs it's very sensitive to is acepromazine and butorphanol, which is what we use for pre-anesthetics oh, right. for, for medications. Mm-hmm. So if you give them a dose you'd give a regular dog, that'd be too much for this dog. Wow. So you need to really back that down. They're also very sensitive to a lot of the heart uh, heartworm preventative medications, the ivermectin, the milbamycin, the moxidectin, um, at doses much higher than we would normally do in a preventative dose. Mm. So they can still take HeartGuard, they can still take ProHeart, um, they can still do Revolution, yeah. but they're they're just you. We oftentimes use those drugs at much higher doses for treating other parasites, uh, mange yeah. and things like that. And then the third class of drugs are very sensitive to our chemotherapy drugs. So if they're able to get lymphoma or something like that, you have to be very careful because you can actually, doses that would make other dogs just a little bit sick, they can make these dogs really sick. sick. So it's nice to see that, and and they're going to be adding more of these tests, I think, onto these panels. So if you're thinking about getting this uh, genetic test for your dog just to find out what breeds they are, you can get all this other information. Did they say which test it was? I think it's the Mars Wisdom panel, but okay. uh, there's a couple of them out there. You can get them on Amazon. They just mm-hmm. take a saliva test. There's like $60, $70. Yeah. Really inexpensive. And then bring those results into the vets. We can put them in the medical records, and we'll have those available for us to use during, during the, the future workups and, and treatments for them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we find out the hard way that an animal is super sensitive to a drug. This yeah. way we know which ones we can avoid right ahead of time. Yep. All right. Tech tips. Yes. So we talked about bringing in an old cat into the house, an old dog to the house. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a family the other day had adopted a kitten in with their dog. So I thought it'd be kind of neat if you could talk to some of the ways when people want to create a mixed household of cats and dogs. So yes. they maybe they have a dog already in the house or a cat already in the house. And they want to bring in another species. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing goes, cats and dogs do not go together. <laughs> but you always see these cute pictures online of these cats and dogs sleeping yes. together and best buddies. <laughs> So does that happen naturally, or is this something you really got to work at? Um, you, you know what? Just like people, it depends on the animal. Okay. Um, a lot of times, and I will say 
mostly I'm going to put you out there for that one. Mostly cats. <laughs> they can tend to be a little more stubborn when it comes uh, to getting a new sibling in the house. Yes. Um, especially just because they're kind of territorial. Yes. Um, depending on, you know, for dogs, certain breeds, they are open to everyone and everything. But again, dogs, just like cats, they can be territorial and what's theirs is theirs. Um, when bringing in, you know, a cat into the household, um, firstly, you want to make sure if you already have a dog, you want to make sure that that cat and that dog have their own personal areas. Right. Um, especially if you are bringing in this tiny five-pound kitten and you've got a big old 100-pound lab or mastiff or something, you want to make sure that the kitten is in an area where the dog's not just going to plop down or lay on it or something like that, or worst-case scenario, you want to make sure your doggy knows that it's not a toy. Yeah, um, or, um, or food. Or food, exactly. I have some friends, they have a... a Doberman, and they got a couple kittens about seven months ago, and they said, well, is this going to work out okay? I said, well, you'll find out you if one of the kittens out. is missing. Exactly. Like, and a lot of animals do get rehomed before situations like yeah. this. Unfortunately, we had a case just last week where they had to rehome their uh, greyhound because it was trying to eat the son's cats. And, you know, I feel sorry for the greyhound because I did love him. <laughs> um, but, it's, it's, you know... It's not a treat. It's not a, it's not no, a toy. But, and it's amazing um, and how some of them just take to them so readily. They do. You know, so and a lot of time, um, older cats, they don't do great with puppies. But okay. you do have a lot of older cats who will go up to a puppy and say, you know what, right now I'm bigger than you and I'm going to assert my dominance. Which is why it's not always horrible to have a puppy with an older yeah. cat. Because you want to let that cat know, this is my house, you know, I'm going to tell the dog that you are my pet now. Right. And a lot of times as they get older, the dog will still have that mentality. And when the cat walks past, the dog will get up and leave because the dog knows the cat is higher up on that totem pole. And that is okay. Um, a lot of times it is a little harder, you know, the other way around just because, you know, you already have a big dog and a cat's not usually ever going to get bigger than right. the dog. Um, but again, the biggest thing is always making sure Everybody has their own personal space. Um, when you have a puppy, you need to usually you're doing training and things like that. Um, so it's easier to do positive reinforcement for when the puppy is with the cat or something like that. You can do positive reinforcements with cats too. Um, you know, put the puppy in the or the kitten and everybody together. If they get along and sit quietly, give everybody a treat. You know, make yeah. sure that, you know, your dog isn't food aggressive when you're bringing in a cat around. Because a lot of cats do love to eat dog food. Right. Um, the my, cats eat the dog food and the dogs eat the cat exactly. food. Exactly. And you want to make sure that they're not food aggressive. Yeah. Because a dog, sure, they can walk away if a cat scratches them. Most cats aren't going to be that lucky if you get next to an 80-pound aggressive, food aggressive lab. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to be, right. you know, sensitive with that. My cat, personally, he would literally chase away my Doberman <laughs> and sit on top of his raised elevator dish and eat his food. And my Doberman would sit in the corner and be like, I'll eat once the king is done. <laughs> and that's just how my cat trained my Doberman. And he knows he is the king of the house. So any other dog that comes in my house, even when I am pet sitting, he will walk up to the dog and just go, meow. And tell the dog to do something else. And I think I just got lucky for my cat personally. He knows he's the head of the hierarchy right underneath yeah. me in the house. Yeah. Um, but these are just things. Again, make sure that your pet is going to be okay for the situation. Before you go out and adopt a pet so you don't have to return it, see how you do if you can find another 
friend's cat or something to see how your dog would do with it. Um, I always tell people, especially again for larger dogs, introduce them through a door with, for the cat. Mm-hmm. Um, because at least that way you can see how they are going to react. If they are pounding on that door, barking and growling, their hackles are up, maybe bringing in a smaller life to the household is not something that yeah. you want to do for a dog. Um, and you know, cats, they're again, kind of finicky. Um, they're probably going to do some hissing, some growling, but again, cats, they can get up to higher places until they're more comfortable coming down and seeing the new puppy or whatever. Right. Um, but again, introduce through a door and, you know, have that space where they can feel comfortable. If you're bringing a cat into a dog's household, make sure you put a room aside for that cat to be in, make it mm-hmm. a bedroom or a bathroom or something until, you know, the cat is comfortable, especially if, you know, we're nervous cat and we can you know have accidents here and there because a lot of times kitties will do that when they're nervous um but they have a lot of things that you can do for calming things for cats one thing is like feel away um i always recommend for owners who are bringing in a new cat or you know when people start moving in getting married or things husband comes into the household with his dog and now kitty's not happy i always recommend feel away those pheromones do help the Kitty out a they lot. They calm them down. They're a natural mm-hmm. relaxing calm. And mm-hmm. the dog doesn't smell them. They, yeah, they it helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, or we do recommend for some people, for your dogs, you know, doggy downers. Um, <laughs> it's not horrible. And there's pheromones um, for the dogs, too. There got are the, uh, the adaptable yeah. uh, pheromones for dogs. And so there are a lot of options out there. But the biggest thing is always slow introductions. Um, always make it a positive thing um, for two dogs you know, coming into the same household. Um, There are going to be some, you know, scuffles here and there. Same thing with two cats coming into the household. They have a hierarchy that they need to follow. And, you know, you may come home, you may see a hairball here or there or somebody's got a limp. And that's, you know, as long as there's not no pain or anything, that is something that needed to happen because one does unfortunately need to be higher in a ranking than the other. And that's just how they work. Um, but again, when you're together with them, make it a positive thing for kitty cats. Give them a temptations treat that they like if mm-hmm. they're sitting nice with the puppy or sitting nice with the other kitten. Um, for dogs, you know, give them a treat that's something that they never get. Give them like a little piece of lunch meat or a piece of cheese um, as a positive reinforcement because all animals, you know, do follow right. that. Um, but I think living cats and dogs living together it is great they are fun they keep each other busy especially once they do start to coexist really well and then you know you start you can start doing those fun videos of where the cat can knock down something for the dog and feed them for you or the dog can help the cat get out the door or something like that because they will start working together and i know mine do it my cat will open up my dog's kennel and i'll come home and i'll see because he'll just sit there and pull at the latch until uh-huh. it opens. And I'm like, I know I close it because it's a double latch. And my dog can't do it, but my cat will for him. So <laughs> it is fun. He wants fun. somebody to hang out with. <laughs> they do. They want someone to hang out with. Well, and they get along great. Yeah. And I, I see the Doberman and these two kittens. And they're just, they're, they'll be sleeping together on the mm-hmm. couch. And you just, but if that Doberman sees a squirrel outside, that squirrel doesn't have a chance if he can get to him. <laughs> well, the Doberman knows the squirrel's at the lower part of the totem pole. Well, and they, they know, and they know. <laughs> So they they do, and it's it works out really well. Mm-hmm. So uh, send us those pictures of your cats and dogs together. That'd be kind of fun. It's always fun. <laughs> okay, um, next week we're gonna move uh, to the eyeball fun. and talk about a fairly common condition, glaucoma. Mm-hmm. We see that in cats and dogs. It's, it affects people a lot too. So how we diagnose and treat that. 
So, and then I want to remind people, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you click on the little bell for notifications. The subscribe buttons should be underneath Brittany there. And if you're listening to us on a podcast, make sure you follow that podcast so you get uh, notifications of that when new episodes are available. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I guess I'm also going to tease, we're also going to have a Valentine's Day special coming out that uh, our other uh, uh, receptionist and assistant, Monica, helped me do this. Time. I had shuffles in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for this week. I'm Dr. Jim Hose. Bye. You've been listening to the Pet Factor. Right?